Get ahead of postage rate increases this year with Stamps.com. It's like your own personal post office. Sign up with promo code PROGRAM for a four-week trial plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com code PROGRAM. Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. What's up, everyone, and welcome to another edition of Believe in Falcons. I'm your host, Will McFadden. We are going to break down some news out of the NFL owners meetings uh, to start today's show, and then we're going to get to a little bit of a Falcons mailbag at the tail end. So that is what we have on tap for you guys. And I would encourage you, this is our first episode that we're going to put up on our new YouTube channel. So we've been on the Believe main YouTube channel a couple of times. If you've checked us out over there, I really appreciate it. But now we've got our own dedicated YouTube channel. I am recording this live on video as I go solo today. It's kind of a weird feeling. Uh, I'm sure I'm going to get better at it as time goes on. But if you're watching it uh, now, I really appreciate it. Uh, And again, let everybody know where they can find us, which is now also on YouTube, in addition to the preferred podcast platform of your choice. So That is what we have on tap. But before we get to all of that, let me tell you a quick word about our sponsor. BetOnline remains your number one source for all college basketball betting this season as the Final Four is rapidly approaching. Get analysis of every play, prop, and point over at BetOnline. You'll find the latest odds, bracket contests, team matchups, and game trends at BetOnline. Updated odds for everything from live games the conference championships, again, final four national championships right on through the very end of March Madness. Bet online is your college basketball headquarters. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to sign up and you'll receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. It's that easy. Just be sure to use our promo code believe that's B-L-E-A-V to receive your bonus. BetOnline.ag, where the game starts. All right, now that we've got that out of the way, really kind of weird doing that uh, live on camera. I'm not going to lie, but we love our sponsor and would do anything for them. So I want to touch on a couple of quick things that came out of uh, league meetings today over in Phoenix. Um, I think the main highlight for the Falcons um, is really that Desmond Ritter kind of finally has been confirmed to be the starter, or at least Arthur Smith said, Yeah, the plan is to go into the 2023 season with Desmond Ritter as our starter. We want to see him take the next step. We feel that he's ready to take that next step. And I think it's the right time. And again, I tweeted this out. I don't think it should come as a surprise to anybody that the Falcons feel that way because every single move that they have made has indicated that they feel that way. (laughs) And, And it makes a lot of sense, right? They drafted Desmond Ritter third round. He had a, a solid pedigree. Four years at Cincinnati, led them to the playoff, was a leader there, really, really well-respected in the program, drafted him, said, all right, we're bringing in Marcus Mariota. It's going to be a competition. Today, Arthur Smith said, we were kind of ready. If if he had at any point proven to be the guy, they were ready to kind of turn it over to him. Now, in the moment, it was very clear back at training camp at the start of the preseason, kind of throughout the preseason, Desmond Ritter didn't do anything to take himself out of the competition, but it was always 
very much apparent that Marcus Mariota was the starter. So, you know, I, I wonder it, how much of this is, all right, now that Desmond Ritter is the starter, we can go back and say, look, we were expecting at any point if he had showed us this, it seemed like they had a little bit of a plan and they executed that plan. You know, he got to sit for much of the year and then started the final four games, got better uh, as each game went along. And I actually went back and, and took a look at his final game is uh, is actually his first game that he played, and then I watched the final game in Week 18 that he played against Tampa Bay, just to kind of get uh, a real stark contrast from all right, first start, and of course we saw him in the preseason, right? But first real NFL start on a Sunday, and then the final one after a four game run, which used to be the length of the preseason. So what growth did I see? Um, I thought that he just looked overall much more comfortable, which that's to be expected, right? You know, you get a, a few more reps in live action. It's going to be a little bit more comfortable the fourth time around. So that aside, he really does, I think, look to make the type of play that Arthur Smith wants his quarterback to be thinking about. There's a moment against Tampa Bay where they are backed up. And I think at the four yard line, their own four yard line. And his first read is a deep in over the middle. It's covered. But he realizes, all right, that means I've got one-on-one -on -one coverage to the outside on the boundary, and he throws up a deep ball for Drake London. It ultimately is a little bit underthrown and becomes a jump ball that Drake London doesn't come down with. But that's the type of mentality that Arthur Smith said back in training camp he wanted his quarterbacks to adopt. He wants them to push the ball downfield. If you're going to really make the run game the premier focus of your offense, you need to then be able to, at the very least, give them the threat in the back of their mind, the defense's mind, that you can hurt them over the top. Even if you don't do that to every single extent that you can, if you're not hitting every single deep shot when you're taking them and you're not extremely efficient, you just have to hit enough to keep the defense honest. And that's kind of what Arthur Smith wants to bring. And Desmond Ritter showed that in his final game. He's willing to, all right, that's not there. Let me take a look at the deep shot instead of just bailing, picking up, you know, four yards on first down and then we'll live to maybe pick up a first down. That's what he's going to bring, I think, as he continues to get more comfortable is just that dynamic element to the game uh, that Marcus Mariota sometimes tried to get, but definitely was not doing it um, well enough. Another thing that I really liked about uh, Desmond Ritter when I just went and watched um his connection with Drake London, he was not afraid to pepper the ball into uh, his fellow rookie. It was really, really clear that, hey, you're the best player out here. You're my best option, or at least that's the way that, that I feel at this moment. I'm going to give you every opportunity. I'm going to throw you 11 passes in a game. And we saw early on, right? There's a lot of talk about Kyle Pitts and what was year two all about? And people kind of freaking out, myself, one of them who drafted him in fantasy, and it's like, this is not what we were promised. I know I was one of the guys there in training camp saying, wow, this dude is on the verge of taking over this league. He didn't do that. But I do think that a lot of it had to do with the quarterback play. And that's not to totally dump on, on Marcus Mariota and put the blame right at his shoulders. I think there was a disconnect on both sides, but it never, ever got worked out. And today, Arthur Smith was talking about Kyle Pitts and said, Part of that may have been, you know, he's playing through some of that nagging injury that ultimately cost him the part of the season as they shut him down early. Um, and all signs are that he's kind of trending in the right direction and on track in his recovery um, to return back to the field. 
So that is great news um, on the Kyle Pitts front. But I think once he gets out there with Desmond Ritter and a quarterback that we have uh, seen pepper uh, a receiver many, many times in a game, that's what Kyle Pitts needs. He needs those chances and he needs those chances when he is not the main, main focal point of the defense like he was as a rookie in 2021 with Matt Ryan, because Matt Ryan, not afraid to pepper the ball in there either, right? He's going to get it to his guys, the guys that he feels give his offense the best chance to move the chains, make a big play, all of that stuff. Matt Ryan was all about that. For whatever reason, Marcus Mariota was a little bit more judicious with the football than I think anybody expected him to be. So what does that look like for Kyle Pitts when Desmond Ritter is laser focused and says, all right, Kyle, you're getting the ball 12, 13 times today. Let's see what you can do with it. Go cook, dude. All right. I am really excited to see that. And I think that Kyle Pitts is going to be poised for a big, big bounce back season. I wanted to say breakout, but he's already done that. And that was another key point um, that Arthur Smith and, and Terry Fontenot have kind of brought up is that, look, it's not like he hasn't done it before, right? We're, we're not sitting here after back-to-back sub-500 receiving yard seasons for Kyle Pitts. It's yeah, he had that one touchdown as a rookie, but again, he was pretty much the focal point for a lot of teams, especially in the red zone. And, you know, I, again, there was kind of a little bit of a disconnect. He probably should have had more than one touchdown in the red zone. Of course he should have. But I think that what we saw in as, as a rookie from Kyle Pitts is much closer to what he's going to be. And I think he far surpasses that when all is said and done. So I'm not worried about Kyle Pitts at all, even though, yes, I had him on my fantasy football team. Um, another thing that I uh, noticed uh, reading and kind of catching up on the news coming out of league uh, meetings today was that the Falcons, and this is something that if you followed their their signings and you know they're not done yet, I will get to Scotty Miller and, and some of the other moves that they made today a little bit later. Um, but a lot of familiar faces, you know, John U. Smith worked with Arthur Smith. Uh, you get a pair of former Saints defensive players in here to work with uh, Ryan Nielsen. So there was a lot of connective tissue with the players that the Falcons decided to bring in in free agency or in, in the case of Johnny Smith, you know, trade for. Arthur Smith said, yeah, there's a little bit of a reason for that. And he used the phrase or the word, I guess, jumpstart. And he said it jumpstarts the learning process. It kind of jumpstarts just their ability to fold into the team dynamic and everything that they can bring to uh, the offense or the defense or special teams when there's already that connection with the coach. They already have that shorthand, that language, that understanding for what each party is looking for. And then it's just maybe a little bit of a, a tweak here and there of what, all right, what do the Falcons call it versus maybe um, what the Saints called it in the case of, of David Onyemata or, or Caden Ellis, like with Brian Nielsen. There may be a little bit of nuance, but the philosophy behind it, the why behind it is generally going to be the same. And more importantly, there's just that chemistry person to person. There's, hey, I've seen this person day in and day out over the course of a season before. I know what to expect. I know, um, you know, is this person going to be even keeled through the tough times? Are they going to wear their emotions on the sleeve? All right. I know from a mental headspace what to do. And there's, there is something to that. So I think that a lot of that points to me to the fact that the Falcons are probably going to attack year three. I think that they legitimately have aspirations and they've said that the last two years, right? Like their goal is the playoffs and it's commendable and they've 
went seven and 10 with rosters that probably should not have been there, but ultimately they were. And so they are rosters that deserve to be seven and 10 because they are rosters that went seven and 10. So that's a credit to everybody involved with that. But now it does seem like, hey, the NFC South is at least in flux and a lot depends on what the Panthers do, you know, how things kind of continue to shake out with the Saints and the Bucks, but mostly the Panthers feel like a real, real wild card in the mix of all of this about this arms race, maybe to get back into the driver's seat of this division. The Falcons certainly have their eyes on that, and it's lining up nicely with where they are in this kind of turnaround that they began a couple of seasons ago. So I think that getting these guys in there, having that shorthand, jumpstarting this, this whole process in year three with big names like a David Onyemata, like a Jesse Bates, like a John U. Smith, who, yeah, a lot of people are kind of dumping on because of what we got in New England. But if, if they can get a number two tight end to have the production that he did in, in Tennessee, certainly in some of the ways that he was productive, slippery after the catch, a short screen option or a check down option for Desmond Ritter who can make something happen, turn something, uh, turn nothing into something. They need an option like that. And I think he can bring that. So I'm all for getting guys in here. And even though in years past, people have been like, they're bringing in all these Bears players. Is that because of Ryan Pace? No, I, I think it's more because of Dave Ragone. Like, I think it's more because of the coaches who say, hey, I can get something out of Cordero Patterson. I believe in that guy. Let's see what there's what we've got here. And my favorite thing I think about Arthur Smith so far is he is willing to try anything. It seems like he is willing to be very creative. So again, that is, I think, a big positive that they have a past working relationship with a lot of the guys that they've brought in this year and have chosen to invest money in because they have probably a very, very good plan in mind for how to use them because they know exactly what they can bring. Um, Caden Ellis, you know, I mentioned he's one of those two players from New Orleans coming over to work with Ryan Nielsen. But in reading Arthur Smith's comments about Caden Ellis, this past year, he really flashed, uh, you know, seven sacks was a really interesting pass rusher. And, and Arthur Smith said they view him as a legitimate pressure player. That's a quote. So they clearly think that he can be part of this turnaround for the pass rush. However, I think that there's more to him than that. I think that in this era where we have seen the big nickel in college with teams like Georgia and Alabama use this kind of star or joker player or whatever you want to call it to kind of create mismatches and be a roaming player who's, you know, too big for these uh, smaller receivers and can really press and cover these tight ends and is just a bigger player for the receiving game to have to deal with, but also is quicker and faster than some of the offensive linemen and can make an impact in the run game because of that. It's like a little bit of a mismatch guy. I think they view Caden Ellis in a similar way. And instead of being in in nickel for that star player, that joker player to come out because teams are always in nickel. So that position is almost a starting player for the teams that employ it. Some teams and most teams in the NFL employ that traditional slot player. But if you have that CJ Gardner Johnson, um, you know, that Tyron Matthew back in the day or uh, a Derwin James type, like a real hybrid, you can get interesting with that. I wonder if Caden Ellis can't be that type of player, but one position further in and really truly be that on any given down, he could have three different roles and perform them in a variety of different ways or from a variety of different starting spots. 
that's that's interesting. You know, like that when we talk about simulated pressures and Dean Pease last year talked a lot about simulated pressures, it's a way that you mess with a quarterback after the snap, which is something Dan Quinn and I talked a lot about uh, actually in the offseason leading up to the 2018 season after uh, my first season there in 2017 was the need to mess with a quarterback after the snap. Offenses are so good at making defenses show their hand before the ball is snapped that quarterbacks just have way too much information and they've seen too many cards in the defense's hand to really make it a fair fight. And so what defenses have to do is they have to level the playing field by making a quarterback totally second guess what he saw pre-snap because they changed it post-snap. And if you can buy yourself that half of a second for a quarterback to just blink and and reevaluate, sometimes that makes the difference. And so having a player that can kind of simulate pressure and then back off and ultimately you're still dropping four, you're not blitzing anybody, you're not bringing anybody extra. So you're not kind of making your coverage a little more vulnerable. You still have a very sound back end with seven guys in coverage. It's just that the quarterback now has to hesitate because where he thought the pressure was coming from, now it's coming from the other side. Now it's coming from somewhere else. So the more guys that you have in here, uh, you know, like a Richie Grant, like a Caden Ellis, I think they want Troy Anderson to be that type of player. I think they want Arnold Ebicady to be that type of player. Guys who can drop back on one down, guys who can come on the next down, guys who, you know, are just ultimately playing their gap, playing run defense or, or dropping into a normal zone. That can be effective too, because if he's come or if he's dropped or if he's done something weird, on three plays before that, and then he does something perfectly normal, that in and of itself is is different in the pattern. And it's all about not being repetitive. It's all about not having tendencies for these teams. And disguising things is the way to go on defense. You make sure you're sound first, and then it's how can we creatively attack these offenses in as many different ways and keep the quarterback guessing as possible. To me, yes, if Caden Ellis can be a legitimate pass rushing option, I will absolutely take that. If he can be a seven-sack player a year, the Falcons have not had anybody outside of Grady Jarrett consistently sniff those numbers uh, you know, since, again, probably John Abraham. Um, so I'll take that. But I just think Caden Ellis can potentially be much more for this defense, and that is uh, really exciting. The final thing I want to touch on from you know, the news out of league meetings before we get to uh, the mailbag questions for today was the Scotty Miller signing. And I don't want to put too much into this because ultimately I, I think it's a little bit of what we saw last year. Um, you know, maybe with Brian Edwards uh, move was, all right, let's kick the tires. Let's see what we've got. Let's see, um, you know, can this player be anything for us? Have we a scheme that can unlock something that maybe another team hasn't? That could be part of it. It could be a little bit of a camp body. It could be a special teams play. The Falcons, again, are a team that like to take care of their special teams units. They're smart. It's a third of the game. You need to be good or at least competent in that area. And it really helps to be good in that area. So they're always creative. I think when it comes to their special teams, it would not shock me if this is more of a special teams play than a legitimate, um, you know, he's going to be in our top five receiver rotation play. But I immediately thought back to uh, the Adam Humphrey signing in the offseason of 2019 for Tennessee. Arthur Smith's first year as the offensive coordinator down there in Tennessee 2019. And the, and the uh, Titans decide to give Adam Humphreys a four-year deal 
um, that offseason after kind of a similar role to the one that I think a lot of people envisioned Scotty Miller filling for Tampa Bay when he did kind of emerge last offseason or the offseason before. It's hard to keep track of all of this, but everybody was like, oh man, that, that Wes Welker role, that, that role that Tom Brady really likes. Well, Adam Humphreys had a similar-ish type of role as that slot guy, that underneath guy who can make a little bit um, happen after the catch. He gets to Tennessee, ultimately starts four games, has 60 receptions for 602 yards and four touchdowns uh, over the course of two seasons. So I think that, you know, again, that may have been a, a case of let's see what we've got here. But generally, if you're giving somebody a four-year deal, like you intend for them to be a, a little bit more of a piece of the puzzle than he ended up being there. This is not that, right? This is going to be a much smaller, uh, I believe, contract. This is probably much closer to the, hey, maybe it works, maybe it doesn't. If it, if it doesn't, no worries. Uh, at the very least, he's probably a very solid uh, special teams option and maybe a great um, locker room guy. A lot of these players that the Falcons have been cognizant of bringing in have been you know, reputed to be really, really good locker room guys and, and veteran leaders. Maybe that's the case with Scotty Miller as well. I, I don't know him. I don't know that reputation, so I can't speak to it. But that could be the worst that you're getting with him. At best, maybe he does factor in as, as kind of your fourth receiver. Maybe he is a little bit of a slot option or, or a check down guy or, or something different in this offensive gumbo. But it's worth kicking the tires on. It just made me think back to that Adam Humphreys thing because I was like, wait, is that Arthur Smith? Was that that thing? And it was crazy to see how it did not turn out. Um, so those are, uh, some of the highlights from the, uh, NFL's owners meetings. Um, I said NFL's owners meetings. That's bad. NFL owners meetings. It's talking a lot guys, 20, uh, 21 straight minutes. This is why I like to have a guest on. Um, but now is a great time to plug the show. So if you like it, please again, let everybody know where they can find it. Uh, their preferred podcast platform, Spotify, Apple, Stitcher, wherever you get it. Now we are on YouTube. Shout out to anybody who has watched me live uh on the show on uh on the video stream so please check that out uh tell everybody that they can find us on youtube as well i think we're gonna have a great great guest um next week i'm very excited i've been working hard to try to land this um it's different than what we usually do i want to just tease that but please kind of if if you want to let people know that hey keep an eye on the believe in falcons uh feed next wednesday some cool could be coming um, but I don't want to overpromise. So I'm not gonna not gonna say any more than that because I don't want to let you guys know if it ends up follow, following through as things like this sometimes can, uh, especially during the NFL offseason. That's all I'm gonna say. Keep uh, keep an eye out for that. But let's now get to our uh, Falcons mailbag. If you have a mailbag question in the future, please uh, you can send them over to believeinfalcons at gmail.com. That is our email address for the show. Um, and I will check those out and compile them as we go. So throughout the season, throughout the offseason, if you have a question, fire it over there. Uh, Going to be better about kind of sharing that information as we go along in the shows so that you guys always know where to find us. Um, and as always, you can shoot me a note at Will McFadden on Twitter. Um, and I will try to respond uh, if you guys have questions and compile them there as well. Uh, but let's get into it. So first one we have here is assuming we do not get alignment in the first round, offensive line or uh, they specify defensive tackle. But for these purposes, I'm just going to kind of rule out the, the defensive end edge category because 
Yeah, we, it'll make sense with the rest of the the question. Uh, do you think whoever we get at eight has the chance to win uh, offensive rookie of the year, defensive rookie of the year um, with the squad or supporting cast that we have now? And so I think that my question or my answer to that, and it would really be just defensive rookie of the year, um, is that of course, right? I mean, and that's why I'm even moving aside edge because that makes it almost too easy. If the Falcons get let's say a Tyree Wilson or, or they take a miles Murphy because they believe that he's the answer and, and they come in and, and have like 12 sacks or something like that's one of the easiest paths to getting a defensive rookie of the year award is one of these positions that really can put up those types of, of gaudy numbers, right? Aiden Hutchinson or, or all any of these pass rushers. It was actually a great year for rookie pass rushers. Um, this past year, they put up, you know, double digit sacks as a rookie, like, a really easy case to make that, hey, this guy is having a tangible impact on this team because those are numbers that we are all taught mean very important things. You get sacks, it means a lot. So I'm going to take that off the table. Really what I think we're looking um, at here is a uh, a cornerback because I think that that is the best um, path for a Falcons player there opposite of AJ Terrell. And and, uh, candidly, it's also because Christian Gonzalez and uh, Devin Witherspoon are kind of the two players that I think really, really line up right where the Falcons are picking. I would take either of them in in a heartbeat because I think they're both really, really good players. But let's say it's Christian Gonzalez. All of a sudden, AJ Terrell, Christian Gonzalez, Jesse Bates, Rishi Grant, that's going to be a secondary where a team that, let's say the Falcons do start making some noise. Let's say they are surprising some, some teams. All right, they're getting flexed later in the year. Okay, then now they're suddenly in these 425 slots. They're they're in the later slots. They're getting more national attention. People are going to start looking around and asking, okay, how is this happening? How how did a team that was off the national radar for the last couple of years start making this turnaround? Yeah, they're going to look at some of these free agent signings, assuming that David Onyemata is playing well, that Kane Nellis is playing well, that these guys that they're bringing in, Johnny Smith, uh, you know, hopefully not Taylor Heineke because hopefully Desmond Ritter is, is doing well out there. But you get my point. Mike Hughes, maybe he's making a couple of plays. But they're also going to look at this rookie class. And especially if you're first round pick, if you're Christian Gonzalez and you're over there and you've had, let's say, four interceptions by week 13 and they've been timely picks and big plays and, you know, you've won a game or so. Think back to AJ Terrell and uh, his rookie year against or his second year against uh, Kansas City, when he almost had that pick in the end zone, that would have probably sealed the game for Atlanta. You need a play like that, I think, if you're if you're a corner where everybody can just say, man, what an amazing play. Trevon Diggs making all those, all those highlight plays. Like, that really got the buzz around him. So I think that that is type, probably the position that I can see the Falcons drafting that also would have the easiest path to kind of getting in that rookie of the year conversation. I just don't see them really going linebacker. Um, you know, uh, could they theoretically go another offensive weapon for the third year in a row and go Quentin Johnson or somebody like that? Maybe, but I just don't see it. I think if we're removing any of the line of scrimmage players and, you know, we're not going offensive tackle and we're not going, you know, Jalen Carter, if he falls, it's got to be corner and it's got to be probably Christian Gonzalez or a Demo Witherspoon um, for me. So let's get to the second question. I really like this one. What do you think the split in uh, rushing touches will be between Cordero Patterson and Tyler Algier 
next season. So this is assuming that the Falcons don't, you know, add somebody or maybe it maybe they add somebody but again at the beginning of the season, the start of the season, you're going in thinking right now that you've got uh, Cordero Patterson and Tyler Algiers, your one-two punch. Obviously, uh, CP is 32 years old, right? He just turned 32 earlier this month. Happy belated birthday to Cordero Patterson. Um, but he is certainly up there for a running back. I don't think the Falcons envision him having anything close to a workhorse type of, of load. Um, we saw at the beginning of last year, right? The first game when they gave him the ball over 20 times and he looked like the freshest running back in the NFL. And it was like, who is this old man that is just absolutely running past everybody? That didn't last very long. That, and that was unsustainable. But I kind of think the Falcons knew that. And I kind of think they felt, hey, maybe we can steal one here. Like, that's one of the things that I always love at the beginning of the season is nobody really knows what other teams have up their sleeves yet or what teams have totally just revamped what they do or all the teams around the league that have new coaching staffs and new quarterbacks. And there's just so much figuring out that you really can kind of sneak a curveball by a team if they're not expecting it. And having the Saints-Falcons in week one, I think that maybe they thought they knew a little bit more about what they were going to get from this Falcons team and just unleashing Cordero Patterson as, as Adrian Peterson on them, like circa 2008, was so much fun. But I think that I went back and I looked at uh, their final four games because that's really when Tyler Algier started to take over that workhorse load for Atlanta and ironically happened against New Orleans when he broke out for, I think it was like 132 yards or so. Over those final four games, Tyler Algier averaged 20 carries per game and about two targets in the in the passing game uh, during the over those final four games. In that same time, Cordero Patterson averaged nine carries and four targets uh, per game. I think that that's pretty close to what the Falcons would like to maintain probably to start the season, right? That's about 30, 30 carries between those two guys. Again, maybe they draft a player, maybe they sign a, a running back to just bring him in here and, and be that third guy and, and you could give him a, a touch, maybe five carries in there and see that a little bit differently. But that makes a bit more sense. You get Patterson involved as your receiver. And I do think that if if Tyler Algier can continue to prove himself as the workhorse and they really feel comfortable with that, that frees up Cordero Patterson to to be in a very interesting role for the first time really since he's he's been here in Atlanta. I know that that Mike Davis, when he was here, I kind of think that that's what they initially wanted to do was have Mike Davis be that workhorse and free up CP to be really interesting. But he just kind of broke out and then they had to find more ways to get him involved. And that may have changed the plan a little bit. Now they could get back to now that he's 32, they don't want him carrying that big workload out of the backfield. I think he'll become the receiving option that really, really could make things interesting um, schematically for what the Falcons want to do. So that's kind of how I'm looking at breaking down maybe 20 carries all year, 10 uh, for Patterson, and then maybe like five to two in terms of targets uh, favoring CP. Let's get to the uh, the third question here. So who is an offensive weapon that you hope the Falcons grab in the third or fourth round? Uh, somebody that would just be fun to add to this this team. Um, I've, I added three players to uh, to my list right here, and I'll run through them really quickly. The first one is, is Jalen Hyatt. Uh, Tennessee star, you know, really, really fun. Maybe the most electric and and fun player. Uh, eh, that's not true. Marvin Harrison Jr. is pretty good. I should probably uh, 
Shout out that guy. But you get my point. Jalen Hyatt, especially for uh, for SEC fans and, and Tennessee fans, certainly who are watching uh, all of that happen with with Malik Hooker. But you watch him. I think that adding him is exactly what the Falcons are missing. This deep threat, this speed demon, somebody that you just cannot not pay attention to because the moment that you blink, he's gone. He's past you. And Arthur Smith hasn't always, you know, had that super duper speed element to his offense. But I think that you're seeing certainly last year, the way that the Dolphins and the way that Mike McDaniel kind of just almost took this offensive play calling game to a different plane altogether. It was like 3D chess because the speed that Jalen Waddle and Tyreek Hill have just break the dimensions of the, the field. They just change the space. That, that defenses are used to, that offenses can manipulate. Everything is different with that type of speed on the field. Jalen Hyatt brings some of that. And I just imagine what an, what an offensive mind like Arthur Smith can do when you add that element that the Falcons really don't have at any part of their offense at this point. I mean, Kyle Pitts, yeah, he can absolutely move. He's just not that type of player. It's a different type of speed. And... You know, they just don't have that one guy who really, really can take it to the house from anywhere. So Jalen Hyatt is is somebody that I think would be absolutely fun and kind of a key missing piece to what the Falcons uh, are building here. And, and, you know, a lot of people right now are kind of projecting him third round. And yeah, I, I expect there could be a run on receivers in the second round. And if that is the case, Jalen Hyatt probably is somebody that could find himself, you know, sneaking up. I mean, the, the guy had five touchdowns on six catches for 270 yards, 207 yards against Alabama this past season. That's crazy. That is big play potential left and right. The Falcons, again, it's a missing element to this offense. And if he is there, certainly in the third round, I am considering it. Another guy is uh, Keishon Bouye uh, from LSU. I think he's like untapped upside, untapped potential, very physical, but moves extremely well. Um, I think that some of the issues that he had at LSU drops just kind of looking lackadaisical at times. Like was his uh, attention there always was his competitive, were his competitive juices flowing every single game day? Maybe not, but some of that can be coached. Again, the Falcons are very cognizant of who they bring in the locker room that affords you the ability to take in somebody who you can work with, you know, who, who can be afforded a little bit of the chance to learn and grow because you have the right guys and the right infrastructure to really develop and not let any, any bad characteristics uh, infect the rest of the locker room. You have to have enough of those guys to insulate everybody else. But I think the Falcons absolutely at this point have enough of those guys. So, and that's not to say that, uh, that Keishon is, is a, an issue at all. If anything, it's, these things can be coached out of a player. I really believe that. I think that you can get them to bring that focus, to bring that energy and, and say, look, dude, this is a job. We expect you to do that job. The Falcons will hold a player accountable under Arthur Smith. I really believe that. And so he's only 20 years old. That is the big part here that I have honestly done a horrible job in neglecting to mention until right now. All this untapped upside, only 20 years old. If we're if we're shooting for uh, home run swings in the third round, if that's the approach here, he makes a lot of sense uh, in that way. And then the final one is running back uh, Tank Bigsby. I just love that the way uh, that he has made people miss. Uh, he's so so slippery uh, for Auburn. 
They did not have a very good offensive line, but he just made people miss left and right. Um, he actually he averaged the seventh most rushing yards after contact per attempt, 4.2 rushing yards after contact per attempt. So he reminds me a little bit of Tyler Algier in that way. And what's wrong with that? I mentioned Cordero Patterson, you know, getting those 10 carries per game. If you bring a true 1B to this backfield, and I kind of wonder is the NFL going the route of college where we're seeing the best teams not really have that Adrian Peterson or that Darren McFadden or, you know, that Herschel Walker. They kind of are going that route where you've got just three or four dudes who you give eight carries, seven carries, 12 carries, nine carries, depending on how they're performing in any one given game. But they all can do it. They've all got that ability. So any one of them can pop. The scariest thing about having, you know, one Tyler Algier just run down your throat for 20 carries is to just bring in a clone who can then do it for 15 more. So yeah, if we're talking what's just going to be fun, punching a defense in the nose, play after play after play after play, and then bringing a guy off the bench who can do the same thing. And then as soon as you duck your head to get ready for that hit, boom, he cuts it and he's right by you because he can make you miss on the stop of a dime. Sign me up, please. I'm good. I'm going to stop talking now because I think I've done a, enough selling of Tank Bigsby. But yeah, those are three guys, Jalen Hyatt, uh, Keishon Bouye, and, and Tank Bigsby. I really hope I'm saying Bouye uh, the right way. I apologize if it's uh, mispronounced the other I should have looked that up beforehand. But hey, we're live and me looking right down the barrel of a camera makes me not want to take a second and, and look that up. So I'll be better next time. I apologize. Uh, last or uh, yeah, last question. Second to last question here. Um, is the new defensive coach going to be building on Dean Pease's philosophy or starting from scratch? I'll be quick with this one because I think the Falcons have done uh, a lot of answering kind of this question uh, a little bit since Ryan Nielsen was hired. And basically, they believe that the whole concept or focusing on a 3-4 or 4-3 is just maybe missing the point a little bit. It matters less kind of what it's called, how many people are, are in these down fronts. It's Again, first and foremost, you want to be just schematically sound. You want to be able to defend everything. No easy shots, no breakdowns, no massive holes for the offense to attack. You have to make sure that every defense you call is sound, whether that is three guys with their hand in the dirt, four guys with their hand in the dirt, five guys up on the line of scrimmage, four guys up on the line of scrimmage. It kind of doesn't matter. You just have to make sure that everything is accounted for. And how you do that is now the creativity and the preference of that play caller. But the Falcons have maintained under Arthur Smith from the beginning that they want to be multiple. Dean Pease, yeah, he got a lot of credit or a, a lot of attention about the 3 4 defense, but he was very versatile and very multiple with what he wanted to do. And the Falcons have a bunch of defensive players on this roster now that are versatile, that can do a lot of things differently. I just talked about Caden Ellis being that type of Swiss Army knife. He can be a pass rusher. Is he coming off of the edge? Or is he coming right down the, the middle? Like That's the type of stuff where we can get caught up in, in wrapping our minds around a 3-4 or 4-3. And I get it because defense is extremely complicated. It, I, I know next to nothing about actual high-level defense. I like to think that I know a little bit about offense and kind of what teams are trying to do. But that's much easier to just kind of figure out and dive into than defense. Defense seems like a whole foreign language to a lot of people, even people that know the NFL and know this game at a really high level and who I respect greatly. It's just really tough. So when you hear a lot of us tiptoe around defense, it's because we don't really know the answer. It's just too, too complicated. There are too many missing or too many moving pieces on any 
given one play. And that's kind of the point is that the Falcons offensively and defensively are kind of embracing this philosophy of positionless football. Everybody can kind of do a little bit of anything on any one given play. The key is just making sure that there are no breakdowns, that everybody has their role, they have their assignment down. And yeah, it can look a little bit amorphic uh, at times, but at the end of the day, everything tightens and there's the wall. They build it. And yes, you don't necessarily know where it's coming. You don't know where these creases can be found and you don't know where the counterattack is coming from the defense, but that's the point. And so it's going to be Dean Pease-esque. I think that they're going to want to keep those simulated pressures. I think that they're going, getting a player like Jesse Bates and freeing up Richie Grant to move around and having a player like Jesse Bates who can move around. They want to probably keep some of that dual safety um, kind of confusion that that allows a quarter or for a quarterback when you move the safeties around or have those guys that can do a little bit of everything. And we saw that the Saints had a lot of that as well, right? So they're going to probably keep a lot of the aspects that DNPs like to use, but I attribute that more to just what Arthur Smith prefers than, you know, kind of Ryan Nielsen coming in here and choosing to do that. I think it's going to be the players that he has. What are they suited to do well? Yes, he's going to throw in his own wrinkles. um, But by and large, I think we're going to see something a little more similar than we are something totally different. All right, here's the last one that we're going to get to. If the Falcons are going to have consistent, reasonable cap space, what three position groups should they look to save money on either through the draft, not resigning the players in the future, or just choosing not to spend free agency money on those positions? Uh, And they asked for three because, you know, running back is always the go-to answer for this. And so the question here, right, is as they want to sustain cap flexibility, you got to make hard decisions, right? You can't pay everybody. So what are the three positions that you purposefully kind of choose to say, hey, either we're just going to keep drafting here because young players outperform these older players and they cost much less. I think that is why running back always has to be one of the three. So yes, for that reason, it is just much more cost effective. And frankly, you know, I think a better bang for your buck, no pun intended there, to get these young legs, to get fresher, younger players, and then ram them into these defensive lines over and over and over again. It's unfair and it's the position really, really has kind of taken a hit in value and I think in just the the types of players that are playing it. You're not getting the best athletes playing running back anymore. They're playing receiver um, or they're on the defensive side of the ball or they're playing another sport altogether because the shelf life of running backs is so short. But also we are seeing more and more data that just an average running back behind a good offensive line is much, much better than a, good, than a good running back behind an average offensive line. It is more about the motor in front than the motor in back. And I'm going to continue to say that. That doesn't mean that Tyler Algier is not a great running back because we're seeing what he's able to do once he gets past the offensive line, the way he's able to finish runs, the way he's able to you know, stay balanced through contact and keep moving the pile forward. That's all him. That is, I think, what the Falcons are more than happy to have uh, with their running back situation in Tyler Algier. So that is is coming from the running back. But it's just not something that you need to necessarily invest top draft capital or top dollar in because you can get probably an average running back as easily as, as anything else out there. So that's one of them. Um, you know, I think that then my mind tends to go to these positions where you've got duplicates, right? Do you need to be paying two safeties top dollar? Or can you have one guy that you're investing in and, and continue to draft there? 
I would say that it, I would choose to probably invest in safeties. I think that that's a position that is reasonably cost effective for what they bring to the table. So I'm good there. Then I look at maybe linebacker. Linebacker is a spot where you'll know pretty quickly if you've got a, a transcendent guy like a Luke Keekly um, that you just want in the middle of your defense uh, for the next 12 years, hopefully, right? If you don't have that guy, I'm perfectly okay with kind of playing out that four-year deal. Maybe get him for another two or something like that. But we're seeing that the way that this, this game is changing, I think that the positionless defense thing makes linebacker the way that we used to know it a little bit more expendable. And you're getting guys like Troy Anderson and Caden Ellis who are totally different body type than, you know, maybe previous years or, or things like that and, and definitely can move and, and are much more athletic than what we would traditionally think. You can have these guys. So linebacker is maybe another choice that I would, I would pick there. And then probably one of your offensive linemen. I don't think you need to be paying offensive line top dollar. I actually think that the Falcons have not done things totally opposite of the way that I would do it in that they enter training camp pretty much with one question mark on the offensive line. I think you can get by with that. The main issue is that the Falcons have not necessarily been always settled at every one of those positions to the point where you say, okay, at least they're average, right? Like we can get by with five average offensive linemen. The the issue is when you've got you know, two pretty bad offensive linemen and then three average offensive linemen. Now the Falcons and Chris Lindstrom, Jake Matthews has always been bare minimum average, usually above average. Chris Lindstrom is a star. Caleb McGarry this past season was above average. Um, now you're starting to cook there. If you can get the center figured out, and I don't think that, you know, Drew Dahlman was not a major issue. Um, there's something there. And, and kind of having that one offensive lineman in rotation or maybe one journeyman that you can plug in and then building that depth, kind of taking that one starter salary and using that to allocate towards your depth, I think is a pretty good plan. So those are my three is I would definitely say running back still. Um, I would then say, you know, linebacker as I'm talking, um, maybe you could make an argument about tight end, just the way we're seeing some of these tight ends in, in college change and evolve. Could you get by with drafting a tight end or, or having a mid-tier tight end and then a a young kind of up and coming tight end on the rotation there, maybe, but I'm going to stick with offensive line as, as my last pick there. So that will do it for today's podcast. That was a long one, a long solo. I need a drink of water after that, but we got a mailbag in. We got news from league meetings. Please stay tuned next week. Uh, I really think that you're going to enjoy what I have in store for you. I've been working on it. I hope it can come to fruition. If it doesn't, we'll have a great plan B as always. So you're going to like it no matter what. I just I think this one could be pretty special. Um, so today's podcast, as always, was presented by Bet Online. Thank you guys so much for sticking in to the end. Uh, let everybody know where they can find us. And as always, until next time, everyone, take care. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.